This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Our scriptural basis for the message this morning is a statement from the Apostle Paul. In Romans 7, verse 19, he says, The evil which I would not, that I do. Have you ever felt like that? We don't want to do evil things, but we find ourselves so often doing just what we don't want to do. This morning we'll look together at what God says will help us at this very point. It helped Paul and it will help us too. So thank you for joining with us today as we worship together from Ocean Lakes Family Campground. In the seventh chapter of the book of Romans, the author of Paul in verse 19 says, For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. There was really a tug of war going on inside this man. He was a man at war with himself, somebody said. To say it another way, there was a cross pull down inside Paul's very being. Those words cross pull were once used by a news commentator who was at a luncheon engagement in Miami, Florida. After the lunch was over, he stopped Dr. Roy Angel, who was then the pastor of a a large church in Miami. And that man told the preacher this story. Years ago, when I was just a young fellow, I was on a ranch in the West as a guest for a few days. There was one cowboy on that ranch who seemed to be about the most heartbroken, miserable man I ever saw in my life. He had raised a colt until it had become a big, fine stallion. The horse and the cowboy seemed to love each other, and the other men teased him about his horse. It followed him around like a little small puppy wherever he went. Then one day when the horse was out in the big pasture, some wild horses broke in and broke out again. And when they left, this cowboy's favorite horse left with the other wild horses. The cowboy was miserable. One evening, one of the men on the ranch came racing into the yard as fast as his horse could carry him. He said to the cowboy, I found your horse. He's with a herd of wild horses not far from here, down in the canyon. Well, since it was too late then to go, the cowboy and the news commentator decided to get up early the next morning and go try to find his horse. They did, and they got up to the ledge on the top of the canyon, and looking down, they saw that wild herd of horses, along with the other one they were looking for. The newsman got off his horse and lay on his stomach, overlooking the canyon, while the cowboy, the owner of that prized horse, eased down to to all those horses on foot. When the wild herd saw the cowboy, they all bolted and ran, but the one horse, his horse, stood still for just a minute. The newsman said, I could see that cowboy holding out his hand. I knew, I couldn't hear him, but I knew he was doing a lot of talking. His horse made several starts to run away, 
And at one time he did run away a few steps, but finally he stopped and he came back to that cowboy, nuzzling his pockets for the sugar that he knew was there. The man said, before the horse finally decided to come back to the cowboy, I could feel, I could almost see that cross pull in that stallion. It must have been terrible. Here was his master whom he had loved, and yet there was the wild herd with which he had been running. Which way should he go? When he did come back to the cowboy, that fellow put a rope around his neck, patted him, caressed him, and cried a little bit too. It was later learned. As this news commentator finished telling the preacher this story, he said, Doctor, when that horse finally came back to that cowboy, I just laid my head down on my hands on that ridge, ridge up above, and I prayed, Dear Lord, if I'm ever tempted to run with the wild crowd in life, let me listen to my master's voice. Let me come back to you. I think this is what Paul was talking about in this verse, that war down inside, that cross pull. We see that in our own lives too. Let me mention just several ways in which we see it. One is between that which is right and that which is wrong. You don't have to talk with teenagers very long before you find out that they are constantly waging a war, a battle in their lives between what's right and what's wrong. But this struggle does not stop after we lean our, leave our teenage years. It continues with us as long as we live. Sometimes as we get older, some people may think that the battle is not so pronounced as before because temptations take on a different form. And also when we're older, either we have found ways of dealing effectively with many of our problems or else our problems have found ways of dealing with us. But this still does not release us from the reality of having to do battle with issues that do face us. We still have to decide between right and wrong, and it's a lifelong fight. When the Apostle Paul came to the end of his ministry, he said, The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. The poet said, The greatest battles that ever were fought, shall I tell you where or when? They were not fought on the battlefields. They were fought inside of men. Yes, so often we find that cross-pull in our own lives between right and wrong. And the cross-pull for us many times is not knowing right from wrong, but rather in doing that which we know to be right. I think we're like the little boy who hit his brother one day. The brother ran crying to tell Mama. And when Mama came and asked why he had hit his brother, Little boy said, well, mama, he made me mad. And something down inside me said, hit him. And something else said, don't hit him. So I hit him. <laughs> Aren't we all guilty at times of doing exactly that, what, what we know to be wrong, even when we have battled with that cross pull before we've made the wrong choice? Well, this brings us to a second area in which we often see this cross pull in our lives. And that is between our feelings and God's Word. One man was talking to another about parts of the Bible he did not understand. 
The other man replied, hey, it's not what I don't understand in the Bible that bothers me. It's the part I do understand that give me trouble. There's so many times when the Bible speaks very clearly to us. God gives us his will in an unmistakable way. And yet many times we try to fall back on our feelings because we don't want to obey his revealed will. If we rely on our feelings too much, they can lead us astray. You remember the words from Proverbs 14, 12? There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You know, we can make almost anything seem right if we're determined to do so. I've seen some people lie through their teeth in order to protect a friend, thinking that this was the right thing to do, the honorable thing. When God's word clearly teaches us that we're not to bear false witness. Many years ago, a young man was taking training as a pilot. He said, first time I climbed into the co cockpit of an airplane, I looked at that bewildering instrument board. Uh, the instructor gave me a real shock in what he said. He told me the workings of each piece of equipment there in the, in the cockpit of that plane. And then my instructor said, you're going to have to trust this instrument board implicitly or it will kill you. The time will come when you will feel that you're going in the right direction, but you must not trust your feeling. Depend on your compass. The time will come when you will feel that your plane is not level, but you must trust the instruments, not your feelings. This young pilot confessed that later he did have just such an experience. He said, I was alone in a storm in the middle of the night. I was being tossed about pretty much. I had the feeling that my right wing was a bit too low, so I pulled it up. It still seemed too low, so I pulled it up some more. Later, I felt that my shoulder straps were too tight, so I decided to loosen them a little bit. But then I remember the words of my instructor and I looked down at the instrument board. I found that I was flying upside down and going in the wrong direction. Yes, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Look with me at another area in which we see this cross pull in our lives. That is between steadfast love and convenient love. Oh, how many times we're all guilty of loving others when it's convenient, when things are going well, and then failing in our love when the going gets rough. One reason for the increasing trend in marriage failures is the inability of both marriage partners to maintain a steadfast love which carries them through the bad times as well as the good times. Steadfast love is that kind of love which, as the Bible says, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This love never fails. Sure, there are times when the feelings, the emotions of love may come and go. But steadfast love is based on more than just feelings. In Lorraine Hansberry's play entitled Raisin, there's a scene where Walter, 
having sold out to a man and gambled away the family savings, which had been put aside for his younger sister's education, this man is completely written off by his sister. Their mother reminded the sister of her need to keep on loving her brother in spite of all that he had done. The sister replies, love him? There's nothing left to love. But mama answers, honey, there's always something left to love. And if you ain't learned that, you ain't learned nothing. Have you cried for that boy today? I don't mean for yourself and for the family because we lost that money. I mean, have you cried for him, what he'd been through and what it done to him? Child, when you do think, uh, when do you think is the time to love somebody the most? When they done good, made things easy for everybody? Well, if that's what you think, you ain't through learning because that ain't the time at all. It's when he's at his lowest and can't believe in himself because the world unwhipped him so. When you start measuring somebody, measure him right, child, said the mama. Measure him right. Make sure you done taken into account what hills and valleys he come through before he got to wherever he is now. Oh, those words of wisdom from that mama. How true. We need somebody to love us when we fail. True love will not give up on us, will not allow us to give up on ourselves. How's your love? Is it the steadfast kind? Or is it love when it is convenient? Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. That's John 13, verse 34. Well, do we love others the way Christ has loved us? Well, I don't know about you, but I can speak for myself. And I must say that all too often I, I find a cross pulled on inside my own heart because I want to love those who love me. The emotional feeling which we sometimes mistake for love may or may not be there, but love is something far more than just an emotion. It is an expression of goodwill, of wanting the best for somebody else, even at our own expense. Let me mention just one more area of cross-pull in our lives before we stop. And that is between selfishness and service. You remember when James and John came to Jesus? Matthew says that their mother came too. And she said to the master, Grant that these my two sons may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left in thy kingdom. That's Matthew 20, 21. Now, that was a rather modest request, wasn't it? Jesus said a few verses later, Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Oh, wouldn't it be great if God had arranged things so that we could have the benefits without having to do the labor? Suppose we could just go out in the yard and throw a few seeds in the ground and cover them up and Several weeks later, go out and harvest the crop. A selfish attitude, one which is unwilling to stoop to lowly service, never brings the satisfaction and fulfillment that we so desperately seek. A man by the name of F.B. Meyer 
once said, I used to think that God's gifts were on shelves, one above the other, and that the taller we grow in Christian character, the more easily we can reach those gifts. I find now that God's gifts, he said, are on shelves, one beneath the other. And it's not a question of growing taller, but rather of stooping lower in service and in humility. And that we have to go down, always down, to get God's best gifts. Someone has put into the lines of a little poem the, that cross-pull feeling between selfishness and service in these words. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. Real service is what I desire. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord, but don't ask me to sing in the choir. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord. I, I like to see things come to pass, but don't ask me to teach anywhere, dear Lord. I'd rather just stay in my class. I'll do what you want me to do, dear Lord. I yearn for thy kingdom to thrive. I'll give you my nickels and dimes, dear Lord, but please don't ask me to tithe. I'll be what you want me to be, dear Lord. I long to see my church alive, but don't ask me to come out too much, dear Lord. I'm always too worn out and tired. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. I'll say what you want me to say. But I'm busy just now with myself, dear Lord. I'll help you some other day. A missionary from India, Sadhu Sundar Singh, went from India into Tibet to share the gospel of Christ with those who had never heard the name Jesus. As he was traveling over the great snow-covered mountain passes, he came in contact with a priest who was traveling along the same trail Sadhu began telling this Hindu priest about Jesus, the Savior of the world. And as they talked, they walked together through an increasingly deep snow. They finally came across a body that had fallen in the snow. Sadhu discovered that the Tibetan was still alive, but he would soon be frozen to death if they left him there. And so he said to the priest, we must carry this man and maybe save his life. But the Hindu priest, not willing to sacrifice his own life, said, No, I'm going on. You can help him if you want to. And so Sadhu took the man, put him across his shoulder, and staggered under the heavy burden in the blinding snow. It became colder, and the snow became deeper. But he struggled on, and it came at, he came at last to the other side of the mountain pass, there he saw the priest who had wanted to save his own life. He had fallen in the snow where he now lay dead. Not only had this Indian missionary saved the life of one man who was nearly frozen, but through the intense exercise of carrying that man, he had also saved his own life, all because he had been willing to lose it. Jesus said, whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And yet how strong is this conflict within us between selfishness and service. Let me ask you, do you still feel those struggles down inside your own heart? A struggle between right and wrong, 
between your feelings and God's word, between steadfast love and convenient love, between selfishness and service. There's really no way in which we can stop being at war with ourselves, having that cross pull. There's no way to solve that problem in our own strength. It is only as we're willing to bring our lives to Jesus Christ in open surrender to Him and allow Him to do His work in us, then is, and only then is the way we can find the answer. Maybe a good prayer for us all to say today would be the words of the hymn writer. Once earthly joy I craved, sought peace and rest. Now thee alone I seek. Give what is best. Oh God, may that be our prayer as we face those problems down inside. As we go through this new year still ahead of us, we have those temptations that the devil will always put before us. Help us, O oh God, to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean out upon our own understanding in all our ways to acknowledge you and know that you will direct our paths. This our prayer we offer through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen.